You know, when I met Robin, uh, it was at False Creek, and um, she was playing in the orchestra. She was wearing this yellow shirt. She had her hair and a side ponytail, and uh, she was playing the flute in the in the uh, False Creek Orchestra. I was a college student. I just finished my freshman year of college. And she was still in high school, but I didn't let that stop me because she was the prettiest thing I think I'd seen ever. And uh, so I walked up to her and I said, um, how's it going? I, um, I use this Christian line. Sorry, it's going to be really cheesy, but just go with me here. Uh, I said, I can really see the Lord all over you, and I'd love to go out with you sometime. It's pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. I made that up. I didn't hear that from anybody else. And, uh, and she goes, well, how old are you? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm 19. And she goes, well, where do you live? And I was like, oh, no, this isn't going well. In my mind, this wasn't going well. And I go, I, I live in Moore. And she goes, isn't that like 45 minutes from my house? And I was like, I, I don't know where you live. I, I don't know. And, uh, and she goes, well, I've got to go, and I've got to put up my flute. I was like, okay, well, we'll see you later. And, uh, and so she left. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I just got shot down by a high school girl. It was terrible. And, um, and so I uh, ended up. The next morning, Rachel uh, had come up to me. Rachel's sitting back here, my, my now sister-in-law. She came up and said, I heard you asked my sister out last night. And I was like, really embarrassed. I was like, oh, yeah. And uh, she said, well, she wants to go out with you. And I was like, really? And so I just happened to be kind of close by the next night and took her on an icy date. And it was, it was you know, it's been roses ever since. Uh, uh, not really. You know, marriage is hard, though, you know. Uh, you know, we, uh, we began, that was our, when our love story began, but then we got into the throes of marriage, and, and, and you know what? It took work. It's work, isn't it? If you've been married, if you're married right now, you know it's work, and, 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 and though it bugs me when I meet couples that are getting married, and, and they'll, they'll tell somebody that, and they'll go, oh, man, it's so hard, and, and it is difficult. There are challenges, and that bugs me because marriage is a joy. It's a joy to be married. It's, a, it's, a, it's awesome to be married because you have someone to live life with, and, and honestly, sunsets are prettier when you got someone next to you going, hey, that's pretty, isn't it? You know, tough times are better. Now, um, the way our church is structured, we have a, what we call a church council at our church, and it's made up of eight laymen. Who uh, and and then it's our lead staff. So there there are four staff members that are myself, Keith Davis, Brad Ayler, and Chad Balthrop are our lead staff members. But then there are other laymen that if something happened to us and. You know, God forbid we were all uh, killed in a car wreck all of a sudden that our church would not be leaderless. There would be some laymen that could step up and preach and lead. And, and our church council is very important. Last February, our church council went on a retreat. And we, the church council's goal and role is to, uh, is to deal with the spiritual matters of our church. And we went away for, for a, a two-day retreat. And, and we spent a couple of hours in prayer over our church. And as we did, we identified 17 marriages by name in our church who were facing real difficulty, who were honestly on the verge of divorce and calling it quits. And, and so we began to really pray for that and seek the Lord on that and, and pray for those couples and, and say, Lord, help us get in their way. 
Help us do whatever we can to say, stop this. Let's, 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 let's help you reestablish your, your call to be married. Then our staff went in May on a retreat, and we continued to pray, and, the, and that list seemed to grow. And that's where this series came from. As we decided, you know, several months ago that, that God, we've got, to, we've got to dig into this on a Sunday morning, dig into marriage. And, 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 and so I know that there, for some, this has been an exciting series because it's like, oh, we get to learn about marriage and, and my marriage is going to be strengthened. For some, this has been a difficult season series because you've been there and, and your marriage has, has faltered. And you tried to stop it, maybe, and, and, and you, you couldn't. But I'll tell you, it's very important for us to dive into this, dive into God's word here, because it's de- we are desperate for God's vision. We, we are desperate to have God's vision for marriage. And that's why this series is so important. You know, I, I struggle with this pressure, and, and I feel it, that, that we as Christians, as followers of Christ during this time, I mean, think about it. God could have chosen any place and any time for us to live, but he's called us to these days. And what interesting days they are, aren't they? That, that we are called to run into the spiritual battle during this, this time. And we're to take our stand against the devil's schemes during this time. And, and, and all through history, we have had the pressure to cave into a cultural's view and, and switch a biblical view for our life, a biblical worldview for a cultural worldview. And for us as, a, as, a, as believers, as followers of Christ, we are compelled to say, God, your word will shape us. We will allow you to, to shape our lives. So that is why over the last several weeks we are hovering over these two very important passages of Scripture. Matthew 19, 1 through 12. Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12. We've looked at this in depth. We've understood the context. We, we've recognized this was the moment when the Pharisees had come to trick Jesus. They were, they were were passing around this hot potato about divorce and remarriage, and, and Jesus was correcting their view. And, and it's been my prayer, God, help us have a correct view, correct our view on marriage. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to in Matthew 19. Would you stand with me, and let's read this passage today. Matthew 19, 1 through 12 says this, now when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one another to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. 
For there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now the Pharisees had come to Jesus to trick him, and, and, and the problem was for the Pharisees that, that Jesus was there at the beginning. He was there when Adam was created. I mean, Jesus is eternal. He was God in the flesh. That's who Jesus was and is. You know, he's, he's the spirit now. But God in the flesh, when he walked the earth, he put on an earth suit. And he, and he lived this perfect life, this sin, sinless life. And, and, and John 1 tells us that, from the, that the, he was there at creation. He was there at the beginning. You know, he was there when, when these Pharisees said, well, Moses said you should get a certificate of divorce. And Jesus was a witness to that. He saw Moses. He knew. No, when, when Moses did that, it was the hardness of their hearts that, that did that. And, and what's interesting about Jesus is, is he walked into the world to shape culture, not to be shaped by it. And, folks, that's our call, too. We're called to shape culture. We're called to influence culture, not be influenced by it. And it's, it's my prayer that as we live out a life where we're planted, as we, as we serve the Lord in this place, that we shape the culture. And that's why we should do things like the mission. It's why we should expand into Tulsa, because we are called to shape the culture that we live. And I pray that that's who we are. I pray we're an influencer rather than the influenced. And, 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 but but we've got to recognize that we're called to this world, but we're not of this world. We're different from this world. And that's who we are as believers. That's who we are as followers of Christ. And, 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 and this is what I pray that God does for us, that, that he reshapes our vision for marriage. Now, this is why every week we've said this, and if you're following along in your notes, I hope you will, that, that we said this every week. A biblical marriage is a covenant relationship, not a consumeristic commitment. That, that, that God's plan for marriage is a covenant. But, but our world has shifted into a contract. That marriage is simply a contract that you sign, and you can come in and out of that contract. It's this consumeristic idea, and this is something that we have been, been focused on. And I pray that, that if you look back on this series, the one thing you get, the one thing you remember is that marriage is a covenant relationship. It's a covenant I made from, with God. It's not just some contract I signed. It's a covenant. Now, look at verse 4. Look back with me at Matthew 19, verse 4. Jesus is, is reiterating that. When he's confronted on divorce, he talks about God's plan for marriage. He says, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. You know, hold fast to, to her. And that, that's this idea that we're looking deeply into over the next several weeks. What does it look like to hold fast? He said the two shall become one flesh. This supernatural activity, he says, verse 6, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Though I was so excited to take Robin on that icy date. You know, it was not till four years later that I stood in front of Northwest Baptist Church next to Keith Davis and Brad Ayler, who were two groomsmen in my wedding. And I stood there and said, 
before God and before the presence of the people that came to our wedding. And I said, I, I made a vow to her. I said, with this ring, I thee wed, I pledge my life and my love to you. All I am, all I have, all I hope to be is yours in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you know, through the, that was the beginning of the journey for us. The beginning of the commitment, the covenant. And, and, and then, then we fleshed it out and, we, and we've been through ups and downs and trials and, and joys and this life together. And it's been a joy, but it's important for us to recognize that God, we need your vision, not the world's vision. So what does it mean to have that vision? What does it mean to hold fast to, to your wife? Point number one, if you, you, we got to understand this. We've got to embrace the biblical vision of marriage. And, 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 and I want to push us and, and challenge us. I want you to hold me accountable to embrace this biblical vision for marriage. What is the biblical vision? You know, when I think about the, the, every generation has, has not had a high enough view of marriage. Every generation has struggled with this. We see this all through Scripture. And, and we struggle with this biblical vision versus a human vision. And even a lost world, even a world that doesn't follow Christ, when they see a marriage that lasts forever, they go, oh, that's good. That's good. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but when we were on that cruise um, and we were, we were in that debarking meeting and, and they were like, okay, who's here for a wedding? And, oh, good job, your, your wedding, uh, you got married, your honeymoon on a cruise. Who's been married for five years? Okay. There was a couple that had been married for 65 years. And this is a cruise. I mean, they're, they're there to party for the most part. And, and, and when, when they said a couple, 65 years, stand up, the whole place got silent and go, whoa, standing ovation. I mean, even all these lost people even are going, wow, that's the way to do it. You see, we've got we to recognize the biblical vision of marriage is a lifelong commitment. It's a covenant that you don't break. Now, when, when Jesus says this, that, that, that you're to be united to your wife, that you're to hold fast, that, that, that you're, to, you're, you're to live forever together, you're to have this covenant. You know, it's important that we recognize that marriage exists. God created marriage to point to the glory of God. To, to, as a Christian, we, we've got to see how Genesis 2, Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Ephesians 5, these words united, they are becoming one flesh. This is a deep meeting. It's a sacred event. Marriage is a sacred event that takes place. That's why Jesus says, what God has joined together, man should not separate. When Robin and I stood in front of that church, God was joining us together. Now, we got to see all these, these connect. Turn over to Ephesians 5. I want you to see this because we've got to get this biblical vision. Ephesians 5, verse 22, look at what he says. And this is controversial in our day, and a lot of people struggle with this. But it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 22. For the, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. 
Okay, see, a lot of times uh, a husband will read this, and, I, and I've seen this even in our church of husbands that have, a, have an inappropriate view of headship. And we've got to recognize that, that when it comes to headship in Scripture, the Bible says that the husband is head of the wife. And we live in this culture that struggles with that and that will resist that and say, what are you telling me? Um, a, a woman will say, he's not head over me. But we've got to understand what, what God is saying here, how God's word works here. Headship is not a right to control, abuse, or neglect. Christ sacrifices the pattern here. And this is what's so important in a biblical view of marriage. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And when it comes to headship, rather it's the husband's responsibility to love like Christ. It says in verse 24, 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. See, God's word, Paul right here is drawing this picture of Christ in the church. Marriage is that picture. Headship is, is the responsibility. You husbands, if you have a responsibility to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And how did he love it? He sacrificed for us. He knew we were going to struggle, but yet he came anyway and died for us. Now, I want you to see about ladies, submission is not forced. That's not the way Christ wants the church to respond to his leadership and, and provision. The, it's not a forced submission. So here, let me give you a definition of, of headship and submission. And I've got it on the screen behind me. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. I want to read it again. Biblical headship, this, this biblical vision for marriage is a divine calling. A divine calling of a husband to take the primary responsibility for Christ-like leadership. Husbands, can I tell you, I see so many husbands that leave the spiritual leadership to their wives. And can I challenge you to recognize that you are to care for the spiritual well-being of your home? You're to think about, are my children growing? Are we, is my wife growing in their walk with the Lord? You're to be a spiritual leader. And this is why men, so many of us, have, have abdicated that responsibility. We've given that responsibility away. Do not do that. Become a spiritual man. I'm amazed at, at the number of people that I meet that, that neglect the spiritual things in their life. And when it comes to headship in the home, you're to be the spiritual leader of your home. But I've, I've seen men that knew the Lord that said, I'm going to use that verse of headship to dominate and force my wife to just be quiet and listen to me. That's not spiritual leadership. It's servant leadership, it's protection, it's provision in the home. Now, submission, Let me, ladies, I'm going to give you a definition of submission. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. 
Now, when you look at biblical um, submission and headship, and I I want you to notice these two definitions both begin with a divine calling. That we have a divine calling. Marriage is something that God does. And, And it's a divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's critical that we have this biblical view of marriage. That marriage exists in our world to point a lost world to Christ. And this is why our marriages must be strong. This is why we've got to be a a group of people that say, God, we will set the example for the people in Owasso, in Collinsville, in Sperry, in in Tulsa, everywhere we go. God, our marriages, when when we live according to your plan, will point a lost world to the hope of Christ. And folks, I'm telling you what, we must never forget that we live in a lost world and we are in a spiritual battle. And we've got to embrace God's plan for marriage. Now, part of what that means to, to hold fast, we have got to develop a biblical vision for marriage. And I, I, I want you to know that, that when it's easy to look at our family, our picture, our family picture, and see Chris, Robin, Eric, Emily, and Maggie and go, look at that family. But can I tell you something? Our family started way before we had kids. Our family started the moment Robin and I looked at each other and said, I do, we'll choose each other. Folks, we've got to develop a biblical vision for marriage. And when you do, when you embrace this, when you say, God, men, when you say, I will be a spiritual leader, and you embrace this biblical vision, wives, when when you submit to the leadership of your husband according to your gifts, and you have this, you live in this pattern of mutual submission. Because that's what biblical marriage is. It's mutual submission. It's not me saying to Robin, let me tell you what you're going to do. No, it's us coming together and saying, let's walk with the Lord together. Let's serve the Lord together. Let's learn from one another. I mean, the best accountability partner I've ever known is Robin Wall. And and, and this this is God's plan. This, this man that's walking with the Lord, this woman that's walking with the Lord, and they come together to serve the Lord. And I want to challenge us to embrace this biblical vision, not push it away. Secondly, if we're going to be a, um, if you're going to have a marriage that's going to come together and hold fast to one another, you not only have to come together and embrace this biblical vision, but this is really important, and it's something on my heart today, is that you've got to follow a clear financial plan. You know, when I look at at the couples that we meet with that are struggling, a lot of our struggles come from our, our lack of money management. You know, most of our conflicts come there. You're, you're going to either fight over the big three, uh, sex, family, or, or money. Now, in a couple weeks, we're going we're gonna to deal with sex. And so I, I want you to know that. So now our teenagers need to hear it, okay? They need to hear this in, in two weeks. Um, that's when we're going to dive into God's plan for sex and marriage. And God, it's, it's important for us. But I'll tell you, we've got to understand this struggle with financial issues. You know, when I look at our, our country, we, are so, we, we struggle with finances. You know, I, I, 
we put too much trust in what we have. But folks, we've got to develop a biblical vision for our finances. You know, it's that why those questions in that, in that, that on that card are so important for you. To come together with your family, with your wife, and say, let's talk about this. Because when I, when I think about um, couples that I see, there's so much conflict because they don't have a plan. They don't, they don't think about the end. They don't, they don't, they, they're too busy keeping up with the Joneses. Here's what I found as a youth pastor. I, I, would, I, would, I spent 19 years as a youth pastor before I came here. And, and, and I can't tell you the number of times that a parent would come to me and say, Chris, my, my son won't stop drinking. He just caves into peer pressure. And we sit down and dig into it. And, and, and what they've grown up with was every time a neighbor got a new car, the mom and dad said, you know what, we got to get a new car. Every time they, um, you know, they would meet friends that had a bigger house, well, we got to get a bigger house. And, and they spent a lifetime watching their parents make bad decisions to try to keep up with somebody else. It doesn't matter. They didn't follow a plan. And I want to ask you a question. What is your financial plan? Do you and your wife come together, men? Do you say, let's, let's develop a plan together? And, and what does that plan look like? You know, it's, there's so many scriptures that deal with our finances. Proverbs 21.20, a wise man saves for the future, but a foolish man spends whatever he gets. And I want you to know there's a formula for financial failure, and it's ignorance plus easy credit, and that equals disaster for us. I think it's important for us to develop a plan and do you come together and do that? I mean, I, mean, I, I think it's, it's not rocket science. I mean, there's four facts that you need to know about merit, about finances. Uh, I need to know what I own. What do you own? I, I need to know what I owe. I, I need to keep records on what I earn, and I need to know where it goes. I mean, that's simple. Where does my money go, and, and wh- how, how much do I owe? Um, what do I own? Riches, Proverbs 27, 23, and 24 says this, Riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. So let me, ask, let me give you three things. Number one, we need to have giving goals. What is your giving goal? Do you know giving is good for you? Do you know giving helps you get a perspective of your stuff? Because sometimes we put too much trust in our stuff. I sat with a really, really successful guy this week, and he, he has made a lot of money. And he looked me in the eye and said, there's got to be more than what, what I have. He's not in church. He, he, he needs to be. He knows the Lord, and he feels this call to, to be close to the Lord. But, but he, he said, there's got to be more than just stuff. And there is. Uh, don't miss the joy of giving and, and, the, and the call to, to bless somebody. And, 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 and I, want you to, I don't want you to miss that incredible joy of saying, look, I've saved. I've taken care of, my, of my, my responsibilities. I've taken care of my family. And now I can learn to give generously. Man, that's a great spot to be in. What are your giving goals? I mean, that's an important question. Second one, what, what are, do I have spending goals? You know, sometimes we just spend money without any idea of where it goes. Do you have goals for your spending? Uh, what are your saving goals? I mean, I'm amazed at how many, uh, there's a good friend of mine I went to college with, and I love him deeply, and he's a financial guy. 
And, and here he was telling me, you know, Chris, I, I just, uh, he, he's my age, and, and he just started saving for retirement just a few, few years ago. And he, he's a financial planner. I'm like, dude, what are you thinking? He goes, well, I, I got good advice. I just don't live by it. And, and the reality is we've got to think about saving money. We, 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 if you're spending everything you have and not saving, it's a, I'll tell you what, it's It's foolish. So these questions for you to ask, this homework that you have today, what are your giving goals? What are your spending goals? What are your saving goals? And this is important. This this is part of what that looks like to hold fast to one another, to come and build a marriage that is is unified, that that you are unified together. You're unified with embracing this biblical vision on headship, on submission. You're unified in your finances, and this is important for us, especially as Americans. But lastly, I don't want you to miss this. If you're going to really hold fast to one another, this is critical for your marriage, for your kids, for your grandkids, that you intentionally invest in a spiritual legacy. Can I ask you this question? What spiritual legacy are you going to leave those that come after you? I'm amazed at how how unintentional we are with our spiritual influence. How little we think about about spiritual things. And I see this because because I I see the temptation in raising our kids that we're going to let our teachers teach them the academic stuff. We're going to let our coaches teach them how to play sports. We're going to let our preachers and youth ministers teach them about God, and we're just going to get them to all the right places. And we'll just shuttle them around. But when we sit at our dinner tables, and sometimes we don't even do that, We sit at our TVs. But I want to challenge us to sit around the dinner table and talk about, share your testimony with your kids. Hey, can I tell you how I came to know Christ? You know, I I, I do a lot of funerals. And there are times that that I'll say to a a group of kids as as they're talking about their parents, and I'm going to go, and I say, you know, I know they know the Lord, so when did they come to know Christ? And they go, I don't know, they never talked about it. You need to tell your kids, hey, can I tell you about when I came to Christ? Can I tell you about when Jesus saved me? Or, or can I tell you about what God did in my life today? You know, take advantage of these moments around the dinner table. And, and, and you need to do this not only in your family, but in your marriage. I mean, you need to talk to one another about what God's doing in your life. I'm amazed when Robin and I go out to eat, we have date nights. We have a date envelope that we use, and it's our date money. And when we go on dates, we'll look around, and there'll be couples that will, I don't have my cell phone with me, but, but there'll be couples that'll sit at the dinner table together and they're like this. I'm like, are you texting each other or what? What are you doing? Talk. But don't just talk about your day. Talk about, can I tell you what God's doing in my life? Can I tell you what, there's a, here's what I'm praying for. I mean, as a couple, when's the last time you said, hey, what are we praying for? That's why it's so valuable to say, hey, let's pray about our giving. That's just one aspect. What, what do you, tell me, talk about a verse that you read this week. And, and you may say, well, Chris, I'm, I'm not reading any verses. Well, start. That's a good place to start. 
But some good, good things to remember. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Forever, whatever one sows, that will he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will flum, from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows from the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And I'm amazed how little we we invest in spiritual conversation and spiritual investments in our, in, our, in our marriages, in our families. So what does that look like? Well, one, pray together. I mean, I mean, pray together. Start today. Start, before you go to bed tonight, let's pray together. Can I tell you, it's really hard to disobey the Lord when you're, when you're coming together consistently on your knees saying, let's pray for things. Let's pray for one another. It's really hard to, to, to stay away from the Lord. Um, worship together. That's the joy of coming here and saying, let's, let's worship together and let's sit side by side and, and let's, let's make sure we come together and sit together. And, and let's worship the Lord together. And, and it's not just in this place, but, but in your life that, that our family will be one that, that gives worth to God in everything we do. That's worship. Worship is not just singing songs. We miss that. Worship is bigger than that. It's that, God, you will have priority. You will have worth in every part of our lives. And think about what that looks like for you and your, 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 uh, for you and your wife, for you and your husband to say we will give worth to God together. Or even if you're single, how are you saying we are going to give worth to God in our, in our family? You know, worship together. Engage God's word together. I mean, this is something I pray you do. I, I'm constantly watching my wife get up in the morning and read the Bible. I constantly see that. I see that every day. And and you know, we we you know it's it's you may go, well, Chris, you're a pastor. I know. And I'm talking about the Bible all the time, but but let me tell you something. I I need to be in the word than just when I get up and preach. And she pushes me. She pushes we we memorize some scriptures together and and we've we've pushed each other through that. And we, we, we constantly can tell when we're not walking with the Lord. And I'll tell you, it's not, even as a pastor, you cannot walk with the Lord. i got to do that. But I want to challenge you to engage God's Word together. Engage God's Word in your family and make this a priority. Let's not fall into that trap where, where we don't talk about the Bible together. Lastly, and this is so important, serve together. And when I think about when, when you say, God, we're going to serve you, I see couples that are, that are coming together and teaching Sunday school together or they're, or they're um, working at the mission together or going on a mission trip together. I want to challenge you to think about how can we serve together. I mean, that's a great activity for your family. How are you going to go serve together? Bottom line is this today. God is calling us to hold fast Hold fast to your wife. Hold on to your wife. And that is why we can no longer be a people that neglect the most important things, which are spiritual things. Let's not be guilty of that. Let's not say, let's, let's not just live a, a life in the flesh. Let's, let's not reap a life of the flesh, but let's reap a life of the Spirit. And this is what I'm amazed at. So many people don't, do not do that. They don't invest in spiritual things. Don't make that mistake and just build up a retirement that you won't take with you. 
Don't, don't, don't make the mistake of, of just in uh, making sure your kids have a good education and, and can go to a good college. Th- those aren't bad things, but, but don't just invest in those things. Make sure you're investing in the most important things, which are spiritual things. I think I watch people make crazy investments in the hopes that their kid would get a baseball scholarship or a, or a football scholarship and all these things, and they don't teach them about how to walk with the Lord or they don't talk about things that will last into eternity. I'll tell you, one of the things that I've discovered is life is short and we need Jesus. So don't neglect a marriage. Don't build a marriage that doesn't, is not founded and grounded in a relationship with Christ.